You know, it's that feeling seen, being recognized. There's something so powerful in this. We have two sons, right? The oldest and the youngest. And when we received my oldest son, there was as oftentimes as with parents, there was a showering of attention and love and trying to do everything right and having still a lot of strength and everything was new. And so he got a lot of closeness, a lot of love, a lot of attention when he was in his first two years. When our second child arrived, there was already an exhaustion from having problems in the marriage and having a small baby. And boom, now there's a second small baby there, right? Now we have like an 18-month-old and a one-month-old. And with our second child, his mother was a lot more oversensitized. Like she was just over her point. When he was crying, she could only handle it so much, not as much as with the oldest. And one pattern that they established still, even though the youngest child got a lot of love and a lot of attention, but our youngest child, funny enough, very quickly established a neediness. He was much more needy. And that neediness was creating a dynamic between mother and child that was much more challenged. And I remember very vividly being in the kitchen and our youngest was 11 months old or something. So he couldn't fully walk, but he could stand and he could crawl. And he would crawl, mama, mama, and wanting to be picked up. And his mother was doing something in the kitchen. She was like, not now, not now, Leo. Mama needs a break. One second. And he'd be like, mama, mama, mama. And he would like overplay it. He really wanted to be picked up. And then she would get angry and they would have kind of a fight going on. Yeah. And yeah. the angrier she got, the needier he got. And I remember oftentimes I was stepping in and I was picking him up. And I was like, daddy, see, I'm going to give you this love and attention, everything you need. And he would turn around and be like, mama, mama. He wanted it from her. And that would make mm -hmm. her even angrier because she's like, mm -hmm. why can't I get a break when I really need it? Now, as our children grew up, this pattern has not changed. It has softened a lot because mother and child, they have a very close relationship and he does get a lot of attention from her, but he seems more unlimited in his desire and neediness for her attention versus the oldest is more relaxed. And so it is harder for the mother to give the youngest as much attention and love as he needs. It's much easier for her to give it to the oldest. For a while, as they were a few years older, I started trying to adjust and overgive to the youngest. Give to the old, but give a little bit more to the younger because I felt like he's lacking that. Two days ago, we're at the beach, at the ocean, whole families there. And there's like a little boat that is anchored far down in the ocean. And one thing I like to do with my kids and we established two years ago is sometimes when it's a very far swim, much further than they could swim themselves, I swim in parallel with them. And anytime they need a break, they swim to my back and they hold on to my back and I just carry them, right? Now, this was so far that I'd asked my kids, hey, I can only do one kid at a time because there's a lot of waves and I don't feel quite secure to have both of you in such deep water. So I'm swimming with my oldest to the boat. My oldest is hanging out there. We're having fun. We're laughing. Eventually, he gets back on my back and we swim back. And now the taxi dad picks up the younger child and we swim to that place. And as we swam to that place, he turned around and he was screaming, Mama, look at me, Mom, Mom, look, I do this, Mom, Mom. And she was giving him a little, once she picked it up, she gave him a little bit of attention. And then she wanted to do something with the older one. And he was screaming. And, and the more he was needy, the more it was sort of irritating and slightly annoying. Yep. And I stepped in again into the role of showering him with love and telling him all kinds of stories and playing with him and trying to you know, weigh out the scales, even right. the scales, right? And 
I saw him, like I saw him reject that because it was sort of like a, hey, I, I can't, I don't want your, like I already, yeah, my this cup is, not is what full I need. with, yeah. yeah, my cup is full with your attention and love. I need this over there. Yeah. And then something inside of me clicked and I realized you cannot, like, you cannot fill the cup instead of another person. If there's something I want or desire from you, Ramin, it's not as always as straightforward. Since you're not giving it to me, I can just get it from somebody else and I feel totally fine. As long as you're in my life and an important person, I will feel the lack of what you're not wanting yeah. to give me. I won't feel it fulfilled from other people. Yeah. And so I realized how futile that exercise is of trying to fill his cup in that way. Then I thought, isn't it interesting that we always desire to be seen and recognized by those who least want to look and recognize us? That's especially in children, but this is true for adults as yeah. well. We always seek the approval and the recognition from where it is hardest to get. And as we swam back, he was stronger in that neediness state than usual these days. And I was able to not get involved in that and try to even out. Or, and I just let it play out. And it was just playing out. He wanted, and he never stopped. It was unreasonable. He never stopped wanting things from his mother. And the more he wanted it, the more annoying he was getting and, and more out of rhythm. Like his jokes didn't work. He tried to play a, a prank on her, but it's kind of like off and, and was not funny. And he was struggling harder and harder. And she was struggling harder and right. harder to be like calm with it and nice to him. Yeah. And so they were struggling together in this. And I was observing this and I thought, I wonder why this is something that I see so strongly and that actually is hurting me. Like it's something I'm not at peace with. I'm not relaxed about. I want to... I don't want my child to feel this way. I want to heal it and help it, right? Yeah. And, and rescue him from this. Back in the day, I was very judgmental about his mother, about this yeah. dynamic. But I've let this go because there's a lot of beautiful things she does with both of their children. But this is just one little struggle they have, and it's just the struggle they have. And I started thinking about my own childhood. I'm like, was I needy in ways that weren't soothed? Did I need certain things from certain people that I couldn't get? And then, you know, you flip the script as we always do. And I went, well, what are the parts in me that are needy and want attention and love and acceptance and recognition that I'm not fully ready to give those things to? And then I realized, you know, when I was a child, I got a lot of recognition for certain behavior, right? Everybody was telling me that I'm smart. Everybody was telling me that I'm ambitious and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go far in life. That was all the praise I ever got. That was all the things people were highlighting, right? Which makes total sense because those were strengths that I had as a child that were obvious to people, gifts that were obvious. But nobody ever said, wow, you're super sensitive, which I was. I was incredibly sensitive as a child. Nobody ever said that. Nobody ever said, wow, you, you're creative or your capacity to feel, or maybe even it's fine to be like, I remember a lot of times people would tell me that I'm too selfish when I was a kid, but nobody ever told me that 
we are all selfish and it's fine. You just have to learn to deal with it. And it's okay to want something, right? And desire it fully. There were, just like with most people, there were boxes that were the good behavior and boxes that were the bad behavior. And one thing, I always felt that my mother was a very attentive, loving mom, which she was in some ways, in the ways that, she, that was easy for her. But you know, we had a conversation recently at dinner with my mom and my brothers about our childhood. And I started that because I wanted to see how did you guys experience me? And how did I experience you as a child? Like just talking about our childhood and earlier years in our family. And they, they, all three of them, my brothers and my mom, started laughing about how much of a hermit I was as a kid in my room. That, and my mom started telling the story that she's like, you know, you were crazy. You never wanted me to even open the door. I would open it a little bit and you'd be at the door and be like, well, what do you want? What do you want? And she wanted to clean my room because my room was always a mess, right? Stuff on the ground. Everything was always crazy. And I would that never want anybody to clean. Me. Yeah, I was very, very, uh, everybody still thinks I'm that way. You know me, you've lived with me and you've experienced me a lot. I'm super clean now and super early, but this is something that I learned from my mother in my upbringing. But as a kid, I was super messy. And she was saying, you were the only child I had that on Sundays, you were taking the vacuum cleaner to vacuum your room. You were taking all the you know, the, the linens to change your pillows, to change everything. She's like, none of my boys ever did this. But you were so, in such a panic for anybody to enter your room. You always wanted to do all these things yourself. And I looked at her and I went, do you know why that is? And she was like, no. And I told her, you know, because I didn't have things in the room that I thought were cool and I didn't want other people to see or porn magazines or something that I was embarrassed about. You know what it was? I was deeply, deeply unhappy and ashamed. Not just because my room was unclean, because I felt as a child, I was kind of, after my dad died, kind of between six years old and 14, 15 years old, that time range, I felt worthless. I didn't know my place in the world. I didn't feel cool enough. I didn't feel beautiful enough. I didn't feel smart enough. I didn't feel strong enough. I was outwardly confident when I needed to, but inside I was actually hiding. And I remember being in my room looking out. And when I saw kids or people or girls that I was interested in, they would pass the window, almost like hiding and watching them. And in a panic that they would see me kind of ugly and my hair is shitty. And I'm in this terrible little ugly room. I didn't want anybody to see me the way I was. I was kind of, I was a pretty unhappy child during those years. And my mom was shocked. And I thought, yeah, because she never, my, my mother never saw that. She didn't just see it because I was hiding it. She didn't see it because she was hiding it herself. There's a lot of like pain and hurt and grief that my mom was hiding. And so we we're all hiding our shit. And so none of us was seeing and recognizing our each in each other, the problems, the, the, the ugly sides, the weak sides, the insecure sides, that was not recognized, right? And that, hence why all three of my mother's son became very strong men that appear very confident, physically strong, mentally strong, that are always very like practical, pragmatic, logical people. When problems arise, people always like, all her sons are like, all right, this is the problem. He is my responsibility. He is how to deal with this. We learned how to be really, really strong, but none of us 
is able to deal with any kind of weakness, ugliness, with the shadow sides of ourselves or other people. We're, we're not great at that. <laughs> we, we don't have a, an appetite to see somebody's weakness without being irritated about it in some way, without wanting to shake the other person out of it. Yeah, you're hurt, but it's not that bad. Don't be that sensitive. You can do it. Just have positive thoughts and go and change your life, right? That's kind of how we dealt with problems when we were young. And so I was wondering if part of these, these sides of me that were ugly, weak, afraid, cowardly, whatever, all these pieces of me and parts of me weren't, weren't seen and recognized and accepted. And so I was hiding them and other people didn't want to see them and didn't see them. And I eventually developed a blind spot for them because I don't want to see my shit, right? I want to hide it. And that shit, these parts of us, the ugly parts of us are the ones that are most hurting to be seen and recognized and accepted. They're the ones that are the most traumatized by living in our inner shadows and outer shadows, by being pushed away, by being locked away. And none of this is a crazy revelation to me, but it was the first time this played out so intensely. And then I was able to fully and clearly see for myself at this point, what was going on. And for the first time to not feel a hurt or a nervousness that I need to save my child or even understanding that I can't save him in this way, like by showering him and praising him because the part of him that wants to be seen is in this case, a needy part. And it wants to be seen by the ones that are not ready to see that or the ones, the parts that judge that, the parts that are irritated by that neediness. So he'll have to figure that out on his own. One other interesting thing that is happening is, so we swim together to that boat. On the way back, it was very, the waves were very strong. My oldest was a much better swimmer. Both of, both of them are pretty good swimmers, but my oldest was a better swimmer. Didn't want to swim the way back. So it was on my back the entire time. My youngest started swimming alone. And eventually I was like, hey, I think you could do it. If you keep breathing at this pace, you're going to do it. And so he was doing it. He swam the entire part back alone. And at the final stage, I go, wow, Leo, as we're swimming, you're going to definitely make it. Are you proud of yourself? And I could see the entire time he would not lose sight of his mother. There was a, a desire to for her yeah. to see this. Yeah. And as I tell him, dude, instead of saying, I'm really proud of you, you're amazing. I just said, what do you think of yourself for swimming all the way back? Are you proud of yourself? And he said, not really, maybe a little, but not much. And then when he arrived, the first thing he did is he did this. He looked at his mom and then he looked at me and then he looked at his mom again. And there was a question mark in the air that said, dad, are you going to tell her? And I went, Leo, do we want to tell her? And he's like, yeah, tell her. And I'm like, mom, Leo swam all the way back on his own. And then, you know, all the adults were, wow, Leo, great, blah, blah, blah. But I thought it was so interesting that when I asked him, are you proud of yourself? He was like, not really. Right. So 
I think I can already see that there's sides of himself that are not seeing and accepting certain other parts of himself. And this is the healing that needs to happen here cannot come from me yeah. telling him how awesome he is, you know, yeah. high-fiving him or giving him that healing has to happen by, which is another, another layer on top of this. All I can do is heal myself in this regard in front of him and be somebody that is more needy, more sensitive, more ugly sometimes in front of my children as well as in front of myself. So he sees me doing this, practicing this embodied in an embodied, lived out fashion versus a verbalized, theorized, let me tell you something about words and theories and ideas. And I, the best way to help the overall dynamic is not by me adding more judgment to this duo, right? They're like two people. We actually, it's a dynamic of three. There's two that struggle and I'm here judging one of those two, which is amplifying the struggle. What I can add to this is more acceptance and understanding for both sides and allow them to figure it out and not amplify the problem. Which is another thing that I've been thinking a lot recently. You know, there was a moment today where the kids would jump into the pool and do a bunch of crazy shit. And their mother would like step in in my eyes a bit too hard and often to be like, don't do this, don't do that, blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. And I started off by telling her, hey, stop, just trust them. Stop, just let them do it. And then the third time I stepped in and said something, I recognized I'm doing the same thing to her. <laughs> I'm telling her not to do to them, <laughs> right? Instead of trusting her and trusting them that they'll figure it out. I'm stepping in to correct things. Yeah. That's right? funny. I, stepping I in do the same thing. And just when you were telling the story, I was like, oh, I do the same thing. And then you say, oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm seeing her correct yeah. too yeah. much. And then I step in correcting too much to stop her. Like it's, <laughs> it's beautifully ironic. Right. And so once I caught myself, I just jumped into the pool and started playing with them. And the moment I was in the pool, she relaxed and did something else and resolved itself. But I came up with this idea to practice to say, let me see if in the next couple of days, when I see behavior that I think is overly micromanaging or overly this or overly that, that I won't try to micromanage that, but just trust and relax and let them figure, figure it out. Let her figure it out if there's something to figure out. And just embody what I want to stand for and create an experience and live, which is be relaxed, embody relaxation, embody trust, embody allowing struggles to happen or dangers, even if it's the danger of my children being too micromanaged, right? Versus the danger of them jumping into the pool in some way that's too dangerous and embody what I want versus talking about what I want while embodying something completely different. And I'll finish with a story because this popped up and I haven't thought about this in, I don't know, at least a decade. I used to tell this story a lot when we did the hypnosis and NLP workshop company, because it was during that time of exploration of communication that I've had that moment. I'm at the breakfast table with one of my brothers and his daughter. She was the first child in the family. The daughter is three years old. The mother has made breakfast for all of us. The uncle, Steli, is visiting. 
I'm sitting down and the daughter is picking up a little, there was a kind of little bottles of yogurt pre-bought that were kind of strawberry yogurts, yogurt drinks. And my little niece is picking up the yogurt drink and my sister-in-law, my, my brother's wife screams, and the little one is like axing the whole bottle and fills herself with yogurt all over her shirt, her hair, everything. And her mom starts saying, this happens all the time. I knew it. Now I have to change your clothes again. Da, 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 this, that, and the other. So she goes through the struggle. She puts on new clothes. Now my little niece, she wants a new yogurt bottle because she barely had any, right? She, she showered in it, but she didn't have any for consumption. And my, my, her mom says, no, I already gave you one bottle. You're not getting another bottle. I'm not changing your clothes again. And I go, Mariana, give me a new bottle. And she gives me the new bottle and I say, watch this. And I give it to the little one, to my niece. And I go, drink it, but drink it very, very fast. As fast as you. And while I'm speaking really slowly, she's like, my little niece is like very slowly drinking the bottle and looking at me half hypnotized. And everybody at the table is confused because I'm saying, you know, as fast as possible, shower your face with it. Now, and she's just like slowly, carefully drinking the whole bottle. <laughs> Nobody understood anything of what happened, right? I thought it was such an obvious demonstration of communication. Nobody got it. I explained it afterwards and they're still in such a trance that I don't think anybody ever got any lesson from it. <laughs> but in my, to my eyes, it was clear that slow, 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 right. slow. Right? You're saying the word, but you're communicating through your body and your tonality fast, 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 panic, stress, which is what the child picks up versus the words themselves. Um, and this is not just true for little children and yoga drinks, but obviously for everything in life. So often we want to teach somebody just relax, but we're like, you have to relax. You don't understand. You need to trust. Just trust. Your Listen to me. Trust. You have to just let go and open up. And it's like, what are you embodying right now? Like there's, th there's no trust. There's no openness. There's no relaxation in anything you are exemplifying. And your words are meaningless. They don't matter, right? We don't pick up the words. We pick up the energy. The energy is what attracts. The energy is what heals, what hurts. It's never the words, how rarely. And so again, true inner work is very humbling. And when I noticed that, when I was in my middle of like giving a speech there and I noticed it, I was like, ah, God damn it. <laughs> you know, I am here. I am making problems bigger, thinking I'm solving things, you know, <laughs> like in the illusion of solving something, I'm creating problems. But I think everybody else, if they could just listen to me, you know, things would be simpler. Uh, yeah, dude, not a day is going by at this vacation where I'm not humbled.